Warning, this is the most important podcast of our lifetime. Hello, everyone. <laughs> what is Hapatarian? So what is, what is Hapa? So when you put together Hapatarians, what, what is that? You know the thing. They're here, to, <laughs> they're here to awkward it up for you guys. Which is a very interesting and beautiful mix of humanity. Anyone has a podcast. You're an extremist. Shut up. All right, let's, let's get to it. Hey, what's happening? And welcome to the Hopitarian Show, the number one podcast that has never been on a daytime talk show. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a five star rating, and in the comments, tell us how much you love the Hapa Ethnostate. Our guest today is someone who is a TikTok sensation, was sued by an American city, and has been on the Dr. Phil show. You can decide which one is the biggest accomplishment. It's the host of The Hourly Struggle, Joshua Ferguson. How are you doing, sir? I'm okay. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on. Um, so yeah, that last part that I said during the intro was that you were on the Dr. Phil show. And that's pretty much the main reason why you're here was that uh, recently your episode that you were um, – or your appearance on the episode came on a few, about a week or so – or a few weeks ago, I should say. Um, let's just yeah. say recently, and April 18th. There you go. Thank you. April 18th. Uh, so let's just start there. Uh, can you just talk about the beginning of when they invited you and kind of what your thoughts are? Cause I know you had done a Substack too, where after it was all done, but wasn't out yet. The episode hadn't come out yet, but you're kind of like having second or you're having second thoughts even during the film. You're like, ah, I don't know if I, I shouldn't even be doing this. Why am I here? Or anything like that. But anyway, I'll, I'll let you kind of describe the whole beginning when they invited you and all that. Okay. So apparently the way they were inviting some guests is they were finding people with, I would say, somewhat trending TikTok videos because that's how they found me. And I've been I've been doing TikTok videos on politics and what have you for quite for about a year or so now because it's the best place to get engagement, uh, positively and negatively, of course. And at least for me, I, I do better on there on than any other platform. And so I was doing videos and the issue of reparations had come up and I have feelings about that. And the video had, I don't know how many views, hundred thousand or so, maybe more views on it. And they reached out to me and they said, Hey, we're going to do an episode on reparations. Would you like to be on it? And I was like, no, uh, that's a bad idea. And I bowled it over and I talked to my wife and I talked to some friends. And we sort of came to the conclusion of maybe uh, you should consider that because, you know, you could get your name further out there or what have you, or maybe hopefully, you know, push the show or what have you. And reluctantly, I agreed because when I talked to them, initially it was just, oh, you're against reparations. And obviously being the, um, yeah, lack of melanated, uh, the non-melanated person who looks like a disco ball in the sun, uh, that's why they wanted me on there. Like I was going to be the bad guy. I was going to be the heel is sort of what I figured. And as I was talking to them, the other guests, what they had told me was it was supposed to be three on three. So three people for reparations, mm -hmm. three people against. And one of the people they had on there was her whole shtick is she's a, an anti-racist educator. So her, her entire, she has a TikTok following someone of mine, which is like 60 some odd thousand followers. And her whole shtick is just anti-racism, anti-racism. Okay, fine, whatever. And then they had a professor on there who he's you know studied the issue of reparations. He's trying to push some $14 trillion plan for reparations. 
And the, the more interesting part is there was a lady who was both a descendant of slaves and slave owners, like her ancestor owned her other ancestor. And then she was given, her family was given uh, many, many acres of land back in the South. And so that was her family history. And in talking to the producers, I said, sort of offhandedly, I'm like, oh, that's interesting because I'm descendant of, of an abolitionist, a guy by the name of Orson Smith Murray, who uh, gave money to Harriet Tubman sort of through somebody else and was uh, mentioned by Frederick Douglass and had a spot on the Underground Railroad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they sort of peer, perked up on that. They're like, oh, really? And they changed the sort of narrative that they were going to run the show on where I wasn't just going to be sort of the heel, as it were. That was my interpretation. I was now going to be the counterbalance to that lady. So they asked me to give them a family tree of Orson Murray down to myself. And they were supposed to have me on to, they were, they were going to bring her on and then bring me on and then bring the rest of the panel on. And I was like, okay, that's cool, whatever. So I get to the, I get there. I agree to do it reluctantly. And I get there and like, I didn't find out till later, but they had me on a different floor than the other guests. Like the guests were up in like their own little green room areas and I was separate. So they had like coffee and bagels and all that. I had nothing uh, they weren't communicating with me. I was there for a couple hours and I was like, are my just not going to be brought on the show? And it was a concern because I remember, I think it was James Lindsay who was on the Dr. Phil show and they brought him out towards the end and just sandbagged him. So the whole time I'm thinking that's going to happen. And they're like, oh, no, 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 we filmed a different episode first and now we're going to film your episode. And they, I had told them like, you've seen every time you see me, I'm wearing a hat like this or some similar hat. And I told them I do that all the time while I was on the phone with them, you know, pre-recording, uh, pre-agreeing to do it. And I wear ridiculous shoes. I, I understand that. But I wear Vibram five-finger shoes. And I'm like, I've been wearing these for 11 years. Like, if that's a problem, just let me know. And they're like, no, no, it's fine. And then I get there, and they tell me I can't wear the hat because of lighting, and I can't wear the shoes because of they never even gave me a reason for that. And they were, like, going through my wardrobe and trying to make me wear clothes that they had as opposed and I had, like, four suits with me as opposed to clothes that I had. And it was just really awkward. Like, it felt like they were – I don't, I don't want to describe malice to it, but it felt like they were trying to make me uncomfortable. So, like, mm -hmm. I – I look on that show because I would have done the way I do my hair is different than how they did it. Like, I don't feel like I look like myself. Um, it's really awkward to me. And so they bring me out. And I was, again, told it was going to be three on three. And instead, it ended up being four on two. It was myself and um, Bob Woodson, who's a civil rights activist who's against reparations. And then they have the lady who I mentioned whose family history was was entwined with slavery and the anti-racism girl. And then they had a guy who had run to be mayor of city council, who was just basically there to, to lady that side of the argument, because mm -hmm. the way to say, and they had another guy over zoom. And I wanted, when I, when they weren't telling me what was going on, I, I wanted to walk. I called my wife. I was like, listen, I think I just want to bail. And she was like, yeah, go ahead. Just bail. I don't care. Like you're right. Bail. And then I stayed anyways, they filmed the episode. We recorded for like an hour or so. And then that was back in October. Skip ahead. It airs in April. And it was just six months of stress of not knowing how it was going to be cut and framed because they did cut a lot of it. Like they cut a lot of what we talked about. And so, yeah, that's basically how that came to pass though. So you were told, like, like you mentioned that it was going to be three on three. Do you know who the other person was going to be or did they not give you any list no, of names? No, I don't think they had a third person. I think they were trying to find a third person is what it was. Because that was, again, that was probably a week, couple weeks before the actual filming date. So mm -hmm. I think their their original plan was to just be three on three. And different, from what I've learned, different producers on different episodes frame them different ways. 
they they set up the narratives or how they want the conversation to go different ways. And I don't think the person that was producing my episode had the same view as Dr. Phil did because it didn't play out the way that, that I was at least told. And I think initially they did want a three on three debate and then it just didn't have, they just couldn't find a third person. Not many people, uh, I, I guess, what's the delicate way of saying this? If you're one of the melanated peoples, as some people in the libertarian world like to call them, I won't name check who, uh, you can get away with saying you're against reparations without being just directly called a racist. And a lot of people know that. So it's kind of hard to want to come out against that issue or many social issues without just knowing the backlash is coming. I didn't care. So I was fine with doing that because if they're going to call you racist, they're going to call you racist. Kind of who cares? But right. I don't think they could find anybody else who wanted to be on the show. And that's why it wasn't three on three. I don't think I think I don't think they wanted it to just be two on two because then it's harder to cut it up. Like the more people you have talking, the more you can cut around people. But if you yeah. just have two on two, it becomes a lot harder to cut it. So it ended up. Yeah, because it ended up being four on two, which was really unfair the kid the the mayor the mayoral candidate should have just been cut there was no reason for him to be there and it just yeah it felt stacked and i don't necessarily know why so i mean maybe just i don't know how producers are picked and chosen on what episode they're going to be doing that time or whatever because like you're saying um and from my uh knowledge of of television especially something like dr phil or, or anything that's similar to that they do film different episodes on the same day like okay we have today's thursday we're going to be filming three episodes today and then the next day we're doing whatever and then like each producer or how many producers there are they assign okay you're gonna be doing this one you're gonna be doing this one and this one and then who knows maybe one of the the producers that wasn't assigned to you maybe they were more on your side so maybe if they were assigned to you maybe they would have tried to at least at least had the facade of a fair shot or some kind of fair debate or whatever. Right. That's why I don't really want to ascribe. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of malice to ascribe to, to Hollywood as an industry, but I didn't really want to ascribe malice to the producers simply because when I talked to them, they were very conge um, congenial. Like we were able yeah. to have a conversation. I was able to tell them like, here's the numbers, here's the math, here's what I know, here's what I believe. And they were all fine with that. There was no hostility at all. And they could have just been put on a facade, but, but it felt sincere for the most mm -hmm. part. And producers could have changed. I mean, a show could have moved hands to a different producer. Or it could have been edited differently. So who knows? But it definitely, it felt like they went into it wanting to do one thing, the three-on-three -three debate. That didn't happen. They changed the narrative shift. Because again, originally it was just supposed to be, I was the guy that was against reparations. And when, because they didn't know my history with, with my family. So they went, oh, that's a thing. And they changed the premise of the show to turn that into, or bring that into it. And then ended up downplaying almost all of that. Like, I don't think I talked about Orson Murray really at all, except for in the intro when they when they cut it in. And that was sort of my animosity. I don't know how much of this I can talk about because of NDA stuff, but well, let him, let him sue me. Uh, <laughs> when was the first time somebody sued me? So they, the lady who, they interviewed two of us. There were five of us, on, six of us on the panel. They only interviewed two of us that I know of. They interviewed myself and the lady whose family was both slave and, and slave owner. And they flew her in because she lives back down south. They flew her in. You watch her interview. When they introduce her, it is a professionally shot, professionally edited. They inter they flew her into interview. I'm an hour from the studio. Like I drove myself mm -hmm. to that studio and they had me do it over Zoom in the room I'm in now. I didn't have the green screen or anything else. And they made me take everything off my wall five minutes before we were shooting. Like, oh, no, you can't do that. I had these headphones on because I can hear you with these headphones. They're like, oh, you yeah. can't wear those. Do you have AirPods or something smaller? Like everything was being changed. And they were trying to get specific answers out of me. 
and as you as you know because i've been talking to you a few times yeah i talk a lot so they're like so do you think that reparation should be allowed and i give them a very qualified statement because i was like i know what you're trying to do here like i know you're trying to get that clip and i'm not going to give it to you so they had to really tweak what i said but i they they did some voiceover with it because they made me shoot my own video so you, if you see the intro you'll see i don't know which one they use because there's one where i'm sitting on a chair one where i'm outside in my backyard and one that i'm on my couch like i had to shoot all those myself like i had to figure out how to shoot those myself to send them promo clip stuff of myself whereas they and i'm again i'm an hour away i could have driven to them at any time yeah and they flew somebody else in to do that stuff for her. I think they flew somebody out there to film for her also. Cause there's a whole thing of her being filmed, like paddling her boat or a little <laughs> canoe out on the water of her property. And I was like, it just felt really dishonest. You know, it felt really. It's like, like were... it's, it's like one of those where they have someone like walking, just looking off to the side, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And this person's doing this and no, uh, yeah. Like that kind of thing. I felt like it was worse than that. It felt like the, like there's, um, Reason TV sometime back did a, a video clip. They do all like the, the joke video things. They did a video of uh, campaigns. Mm. Like, look at our candidate. Look at the, the flags yeah, and yeah. the lens flare in the background. Look at their candidate. Quick right. cuts and mean voiceovers. <laughs> yeah. Our candidate's holding a baby. Their candidate doesn't have a baby. Like, that's what it felt like. Like, look at how, how beautiful of a life she has. Look at how wonderful she is. Look at how great she's lit. Yeah, light yourself in your, in your, in your, uh, in your house. Like, Okay. I mean, I, I, this is like completely, I don't know how this will be taken, but the fact that they were kind of, I guess, grooming her, not in a, like in a weird way, or whatever, right. but, but like, you know, trying to like make her, like you're saying, make her seem this, oh, she has an amazing life, whatever. It's almost like they're saying maybe not intentionally, but it's like, okay, so you're for reparations, but you're living this great life. I don't think you need them. Like you don't need this money. You're doing great. It was super surreal because it's like, you know, my family, like my, my ancestor, he had multiple kids. And so the property was split up amongst them. And then that guy's kids, you know, that sort of thing back in the 1800s. And you look at this chick and you're like, your family has like hundreds of acres of property or whatever. <laughs> and and then everyone I've talked to who's watched the episode, when they talk about her, they're like, she like lights up when they say $14 trillion. And it's like, ooh, like she all of a sudden it's this thing. And it just, it just oozes greed. And it yeah. didn't send the message I think they wanted it to send. You know, it was it was a really weird contrast. You're like, wait, the person you're putting up for reparations doesn't seem like they need it in any capacity. Like right. she could sell a few acres of property to rehab other parts of it or whatever. And it's like, but we're gonna we're gonna push your story as though, as though it's the poor like you could see it like if it was some poor downtrodden person whose right. family had yeah. everything stolen from them or whatever. But it's like, here's a lady whose ancestor enslaved her other ancestors and gave them thousands of dollars worth of property to this day it's like general literally generational wealth like her family literally had generational wealth and she's mm. you know begging for reparations which is which is a weird narrative to, to be pushing with that and it's like 14 trillion dollars or whatever that massive amount would be if it's gonna be split i mean okay first of like i guess you're gonna have to make you're gonna have to count how many people are black or whatever however many that that be like i don't know millions right in america and you gotta split that up I don't know. I don't know if she knows the math or anything like that, but okay. there, there, there is no math. Cause it's all predicated <laughs> on like this certain, we're going to put this much towards infrastructure and this touch towards education and all this convoluted thing. Like I asked, 
uh, because they didn't delineate it to begin with. And I said, well, what does it mean to be black? Because like, if I go through my ancestry, like we have a black ancestor somewhere we have a from, from Africa, we haven't figured out where it came in, but it's like nine generations back. And they're like, well, you'd have to identify as black over the last 12 years on your government issue IDs. And I'm like, well, that's a, that's a thing. Like, wow. Yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, there's a whole bunch of nuance with the issue. Like you can dive into all these different things about how it all works and how it doesn't, but they don't care. It's, it's mostly just feels like a grift, you know, and they just, and it's a contentious issue where most of the comments are people just screaming at each other about it. I think the frustrating part is that a lot of what was said, like the things I was actually worried about never even made it to air. Like I spent hmm. six months stressing out about what was going to be on the show and I, over a couple certain things and they never made it to air and it just confused me. And it was like, oh, okay. Well, um, so I guess we can go ahead and watch because you were just you were talking about how you, you had to film all these different promos and whatever they're going to use. And so we'll just kind of watch your intro here because, like, you were, like, I did see the intro, and like you were saying, it's you're literally like in front of a, <laughs> a friggin' wall, the wall and, behind me. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 crazy how different it is. Um, but anyway, this is for anyone who's just listening. This is um, uh, his appearance on the Dr. Phil show. Uh, his last season, I believe it's going to be going to be ending production after uh, this season. Correct. So kudos to that, Josh. You just made it. Um, but anyway, I we'll killed the Dr. Phil show. <laughs> yeah, it's all your fault. All right. Now, my next guest says black Americans should not be awarded reparations because the issue is fraught with complications and questions. My fifth great grandfather, Orson Smith Murray, was an abolitionist from the 1830s until after the Civil War. He was known to have said that slavery was the struggle of the hour at the time. That was the big issue in our country. Learning about my fifth great grandfather also kept my interest in social and political issues. When it comes to reparations for American slavery, I think morally it may be a good idea, but practically it's not. Reparations for slavery were a good thing 150 years ago. I think today they're not, not being used in, in any sort of good way. It's not well thought out. Who's going to pay for it? It's going to be future taxpayers. If you really wanted to help the black community, you wouldn't just want to write to the black community. You'd want to solve the problems with absent fatherhood or the broken education system in those communities. I've never seen a plan put down that would work rationally, ethically, or morally. Yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about. That, <laughs> but it's go and it's just your selfie. You have like your face, like I don't know. It's just so I had part. I hadn't watched that yet because um, I've been sort of avoiding the episode. So it's interesting because they those <laughs> answers that you see me give, every one of those answers was given multiple times. Like that mm -hmm. wasn't like I gave a speech or they asked me a question. Like they would ask me a question and I would answer it and they would make me re-answer it two or three times so they thought they had something they could <laughs> So work. that was like take three of five yeah. or something like every that. Every one of those, like the, 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 <laughs> where you see the white wall behind me. So everything else was just... Uh, no sound, no nothing, just video that they just used. Like the book I'm holding was is news is a, cl a collection of newspapers from Orson Murray's newspaper back in the 1850s. Mm. And so those were just videos they asked me to shoot. They had me shoot something. And they're like, do you have any selfies or whatever? So I sent them a handful of pictures and they chose those two to use, <laughs> which is which is interesting. One of them is from Politicon several years ago, which is just hilarious. But yeah. those when you see me answering the questions on the couch, 
they made me answer all of those questions, mo not just two or three times, like five or six times sometimes, and that until they thought they had something they could use. So it's not, it doesn't feel like it was an honest interview or honest conversation. So it's really, it's, it's jarring to see it. Yeah. yeah. And then you're talking about the, the recording of promos. Was it just that one that they were showing where you're on your computer? It looks like you're outside. Uh, what were right. the other ones that you had done? So I had done one where, I, so there's one that I was sitting on the couch, uh, reading something. I don't know what I was doing at the time. I had one on, out in, a, in my backyard where I was on my computer and then one on a chair that's over here in my office that I had, that's where I'm reading the newspaper. So I think I sent mm -hmm. them three or four different video clips um because they'd ask me oh do you have this do you have that i'm like no <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> why would i record myself reading the newspaper <laughs> right right i'm not I, i'm not an insta model like i'm not like right. oh, here i am you know in a in a, <laughs> in a in a poppy field with my favorite novel like what is this so it's just it was just bizarre you know uh, and again nothing that they couldn't have filmed i mean i i can drive there if i drive there legally i could get there in about an hour or so in traffic if i drive there expeditiously 35 minutes mm -hmm. so it's just like whatever like you're you're swerving and speeding ah, i gotta get there you know like in five, the five stars grand theft auto style yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> all right so okay go ahead i was just gonna say we can watch when uh mr phil mcgraw oh sorry stock dr phil mcgraw excuse me uh i gotta give him the proper title uh when he asks you about all the oh should we allow anyway i'll let him i'll let i'll let phil ask i'd like to now introduce political writer and consultant joshua ferguson and also alex gruenfelder who ran for los angeles mayor this past year while he didn't make it past the primaries he has now joined karen bass's team as the head of her youth engagement department so welcome to both of you appreciate you joining the conversation um I feel like with his intro, that that guy's intro, they could have just cut out the part where he was like, "Yeah, he didn't make it." It's like, oh, you could have been like, "He he ran for mayor." Okay, great. He didn't win, obviously, but he just ran for mayor. And then he's that uh, so, youth engagement person, or whatever. So keep in mind, before they walked me out on stage, as I was walking in, I was told that I was going to be introduced by myself, related to my family history, as the lady before me had been introduced. So I was blindsided by this other guy being on the, on the episode entirely, let alone being introduced with me. Like so. it, it would have made more sense if you and that other lady were introduced at the same time, if they were going to go that angle, because, oh, she right. has this angle and you have this angle and they're very similar in some ways. That's where it got jarring, because like I said, at, even as I was walking towards the stage from the from the green room, that's what I was told. It was going to be her introduction, her story, my introduction, my story. Then the rest of the panel would be brought on. So when they introduced me with this other guy, it was jarring. And then because I was told not five minutes before, hey, this is how we're going to introduce you. And this is what they're going to ask. And then none of that happened. So again, if I were to ascribe malice to it, I would say they did that to throw me off my game, to prepare me to have an answer ready and then not let me answer that. Joshua, let me start with you. You say that this is a really complicated issue and that trying to do this now uh, is just fraught with so many problems that it's undoable. Yes. I you have to define terms that people don't want to define. What does it mean to be black? What do we mean by reparations? What will it be used for? To find out who would qualify would almost put us into a dystopia of 
classes against each other, trying to divide us up as opposed to trying to unite us with any sort of goals. So I, I think there are more complications and problems than there are solutions. Do you say it shouldn't be done because it's too complex to come up with an answer or because there has been uh, inequities that uh, are still having an effect? You just don't know how to uh, level the playing field? What's your... You can't level playing fields. That, that never works in human history. The, the big problem is that when you look at a situation that's as long as it is, I mean, as people talk about it, they talk about the United States' history of slavery. There was slavery in what is now the United States longer than we've been a country. It's like 260 years of slavery under Spanish rule in Florida, 230 years of America. How do you blame America for things that predate America? I mean, we have these problems where you have to define what does it mean to be black? You know, my, doing my own ancestry, we have my, through my father, it's like 2% Congolese DNA. I have no idea where that comes from. I can tell you it's seven or eight generations back and my family was here in the country at that time. So am I black? I mean, it becomes a very complex issue. Alex, how do you respond to this? I think that really when we... That was such a blatant cut there. Like this, yeah. I don't know if you heard the audio, just like... Right, right. Right yeah. there. Th yeah, they cut, they cut there. And, and again, it was an issue where I was, I felt blindsided by it because that's not what I was brought, what I told I was, what I was told I was going to be brought on to talk about. And then mm -hmm. I had to just sort of like, oh, hold on. Let me, and then, and then he asked the question again, the same way. Like I said, you know, we can't qualify this. And then he wants, but he wants a bit of more uh, by the answer. So, or more sound by the answer. So he asked it the same question again, a different way and then moves on and it was yeah they did cut i don't even remember what i said at that point but they did cut something there so i mean we don't have to get into to this guy's answer i mean it's not really relevant to to your specific experience but do you do do you do do you remember any of the things that you did say that was cut do you remember any of that oh oh yeah yeah absolutely so they when they when the anti-racist lady was talking the other TikTok guest was talking she brought up George Floyd and she brought up systemic racism. And I'm, I'm from this, I'm not from, but I live in the city of Fullerton and many years ago, but over a decade ago, we had a homeless guy named Kelly Thomas, who the police beat to death. And I brought him up and I said, well, you, you look at George Floyd and something like that. And you see systemic racism. And I look at a system of the haves versus the have nots where it's like in, in my town, Kelly Thomas was beaten to death by five police officers. The primary one was a Hispanic officer named Miguel Ra or yeah, Ramos. How do you square that with and with uh with systemic racism? So it's an issue of the police. And what I said at that point was, uh, if you look back at like what the law enforcement, sorry, law enforcement against prohibition had said years ago, there's a reason why the police go after people in Compton or Linwood or what have you, as opposed to Hollywood. I, I think what I said was, let me see if I remember how I phrase this. On Oscar night, there is so much cocaine that it, you might think it's <laughs> snowing. But the cops never bust anybody because everyone in Hollywood has the mayor's number. And I looked over, I said, sorry, Dr. Phil, I don't mean to imply that you're a coke addict, but, you know, no, no I'm not saying it applies to you, but this nobody gets busted in this town, but they make all their arrests in areas where people can't defend themselves. That's not an issue of racism. That's an issue of classism. That's an issue of, of, of you know, oligarchy. So I, I made that point and it was completely excised from the episode. And then... What was that? I was just gonna say, did you wait for a a, a laugh break when you said that? But uh, oh, Doctor Phil. Phil laughed. He he straight uh -oh, okay. laughed at that. He laughed at that. The audience laughed at that. And I was like, 
I wonder if they'll air that. Like that was the one bit I was like, I wonder if they'll air it. It was funny. Like maybe it'll it'll play. Yeah. And they they cut the entire section on yeah, that. Yeah. And then there was another moment where I was in that in that moment when I was making my point. The the lady, the anti anti racist girl, had, lady. So I don't mean to to besmirch her. She <laughs> she cut me off, and I I went whoa hold on let me finish my point. And I was so worried about that because the if they cut that a certain way. It could be seen as me just trying to silence this, you know, strong, independent black woman. That's like sort of mm-hmm. what I was worried about. Like, ah, oh, crap, they're going to they're going to cut that to make it look like I'm trying to shut her down or silence her when she was cutting me off. And then the professor that was over uh, Skype or Zoom or whatever, he was remote. He kept interrupting me. And there was a point where like I'd try to get a thing out and he would or try to get a point out and he would interrupt me and interrupt me and interrupt me. And I was like, are you going to let me finish my point? And Dr. Phil said. Well, one of you finished your point as though it was my fault. And it was yeah. also weird because he would ask if we had opinions and I could see. So I could see the teleprompter to my left and I could see what he had in his notes because I was sitting right next to him. And almost every time it said to cut to me, they didn't. So he hmm. would ask and he would say, like, and was anybody like he would ask a question or somebody would make a comment. And I would be like, hey, hey, can I can I say something here? And he like, and okay, when we come back from the, the bumper, the, the mm, break or whatever, yeah. and then they'd never come back to me. And so it was, or not never, but rarely would they come back. It was just like, huh. Even when the screen said, cut to this person, ask this person, do this, he would just skip me. And it was bizarre. Yeah. And I think in the finished episode, I believe after that, the intro and then your opening statement or whatever you want to call it, I think you only had maybe one other time that you got, that, that you spoke in that episode out of however many times you got to speak on there. I would say during the actual recording, the the big clip that sort of went viral from that episode was Bob Woodson talking about um, black men no longer being in the household and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He's, he gave a, he gave that little speech. I, th- and I just sat there and let it cool. You, you pick up this ball, you run with it. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Wes, I have to talk about, I spoke more than he did on that episode. I probably spoke more than anybody else on that episode and responded more. And yet hmm. I'm, yeah cut from most of it so i don't know that i just didn't give them the narrative they wanted i mean after the episode uh several people on the crew were like hey you did a good job like i don't know if they were there used to be this group called friends of abe in hollywood of like conservatives that were secret conservatives in hollywood Mm. i don't know if they were like those type of people but they were like you did a good job you made some good points and then yet none of those points make it into the show like when even the crew was like good job can't wait to cut it (laughs) you know yeah, it's a it's a lot of the background, a lot of the crew that that are like in the dark. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones like, oh man, he did a good job. Everyone else in the front are like, no, he he sucked. We didn't edit all that shit out. You talking about gone, gone. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was jarring though to even even watching that. It's not, like I said, it's hard for me to watch that because I'm like, okay, I don't have my hat on, and that's fine. I, I don't always wear my hat. I take it off, obviously. But the shoes bothers me so much. Hmm. There are only two times in the last and this isn't like an ego thing or what have you it's just an aesthetic thing like there are only two times since 2010 that i haven't worn the same style shoes just from a comfort standpoint and that was my wedding day because they didn't make nice enough looking ones at the time (laughs) and now the dr phil episode the only times that i've not worn and i think and technically one time when i was helping a film shoot an independent film and i was the villain i had some work boots on because it was just safer so yeah. yeah, it was like oh it fit the character. It fit the character. I was doing my due diligence, but yeah, they they forced me out of my shoes, which again just felt like a flex to make me uncomfortable. Not that it was, but it felt like it. Yeah. So but it's 
I mean, it's it's weird that they would have you not wear those shoes because I mean, it, no one's going to be focusing on anyone's shoes. I mean, maybe they were – oh, man, this guy's shoes are so uh, – I don't know. It's crazy. I've never seen shoes like this. Everyone's going to be like, whoa, look they, at that guy's shoes. Okay, so – here i'll give you i'll do i'll do it like these are the ones i normally wear right they stand mm -hmm. out they have red soles i have ones that are all black you couldn't tell you yeah. wouldn't nobody nobody in the audience that was there unless they were in the first or second row would have known so i didn't feel like there was a reason to do that and yet they did anyways and like i said mm -hmm. i'm not i don't want to ascribe malice to it generally but what it felt like you know living my truth <laughs> what it felt like was they were trying to make me uncomfortable and so again, I go out there, you're going to be, you're, you're going to be able to answer this question. And this is where we're going to frame it. And then if, by the way, you can't wear something you're used to, you can't be comfortable. We're going to change the setup. We're going to change the framing mechanism. We're going to change the way the guests are showing up. We're going to, then we're going to ask you the question and then ask you the question again. So even though I had my answer, now I had to come up with another answer on the spot. I'm like, okay, now what? And so, yeah, it was six months of stress before I finally aired and then they cut most of it. So it was six months of stress for nothing. And, you know, according to your experience that you're saying that you were probably the one that spoke the most out of the whole panel, we would say so, right? You would Correct. say that you probably spoke. But then in the finished product in, in the episode that aired, like I said, you spoke maybe at like two or three times or whatever. And it kind of made you look like you didn't really know what you were talking about almost like you were like a chump because that, that one lady got to speak all the time. It seemed like, Oh yeah, I'm going to put my point across. I guess da, 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 da. and then you're just kind of sitting there like, yeah, well, I guess I'll just take what she's saying. Even though you said that, well, I did actually respond to a lot of what these people were saying, but the way mm -hmm. that it aired made you look like you didn't know what to say or something like that. Right. And so it's an issue of, being wary of, of interview requests or being wary of going on podcasts. So because of my, my TikTok stuff, because of, I, I don't have a huge following on there. It's like, I think it just hit 63,000 followers and I've had some videos get half a million views or whatever, but it's a weird algorithm, a weird monster. There's no logic to it. <laughs> but because of that, I've had people reach out to me to do podcasts or like the Dr. Bill show. And it really is a, I guess a lesson in, having control over how things are presented or knowing how they're presented. And I think it's also one of the reasons why podcasts became so popular, because if you watch three hours of Joe Rogan or Tim pool, excuse me, you're watching three hours of Joe Rogan or Tim pool. Yeah. Like you're watching the whole, you're watching the conversation as it's happening and they aren't just slicing it up to make it fit a narrative or fit a story or fit a timeline or whatever they're doing. And so it doesn't feel honest to watch those shows or to be on those shows, especially having been on one now and going, oh, like, I, I don't get me wrong. I wasn't naive. I knew this. I, I live close enough to L.A. that I have been a guest on several talk shows over the years because uh, nonprofit groups use us as fundraisers pretty regularly because they'll pay you like $10 a head to, to be a guest if mm -hmm. you bring like 30 or 40 people. So I've been a guest in, in the audience on, on shows over the years a couple of times. And you watch the episodes live as they're being recorded and then months later it airs and you're like that's not what was said or that was yeah. cut or yeah. that was interesting if you remember it because they, they'll have you film a couple episodes at a time as, as, as an audience so i wasn't naive to it but i still let myself sort of get steamrolled by it by not by going into something where i knew i i had no editorial control like if i had exerted asked for editorial control they never would have had me on they just wouldn't have allowed it 
that's the the power they have. They're like, we have millions and millions of viewers. If you want to get to be on TV, if you want your 15 seconds of fame, then you're going to play by our rules. And there isn't much of a value proposition for most people, unless you're the, you know, catch me outside girl. Right. Yeah, the, the, right. There isn't much of a value proposition because it doesn't necessarily lend itself to something else. You know, if I was going to say, like of the shows I've been asked to go on, I'll come on here because I know it's just a conversation between you, myself, or you, myself, and your and your uh, and your tenant, and <laughs> and we we'll, and we I know it's just a conversation, right? Like I know where it's going to go. Like if I was going to be on a show, something like Part of the Problem or Rogan or something like that, you know it's just a conversation. You know it's going right. to, even if you get even if it gets contentious or something happens or somebody walks out or whatever, you know it's just a conversation and it's not going to be deceptively edited. Whereas everything on TV is. And I, I knew, again, that's why I should have walked, because I knew that many years ago, I was a moderator on this political website. This is the early 2000s, like 2000, 2003. And we were asked to be on the, oh, the guy who owned the site was asked to be on Anderson 360 back on, it was CNN back in the day. And he didn't want to do it. He wanted nothing to do with it. And I was the, the person who admin the message board. And so he asked if I would do it. And I was like, yeah, cool, whatever. And they wanted somebody to be because I was, you know, libertarian, more conservative than leftist. And they wanted somebody on that side of the political issue, on the anti-war issue. And our whole sort of shtick on our website was pointing out the hypocrisy of Hollywood, where it was like these people say one thing when one person's president and something else is someone else's president. And they're hypocrites and, you know, it's hierarchy, not hypocrisy or whatever. But we were talking about those issues and they, they interviewed me sort of pre-interview and then never had me on. Like they just stopped talking to me after they after they had their sort of pre-interview and then they had a competing websites people on who gave them exactly what they wanted and they were all sort of far right you know herd or dumb lefty and that's exactly what anderson cooper wanted on his show he wanted people that he could just lampoon or like look at the dumb 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 people that disagree with us and i didn't give them that so they just didn't have me on the show and again that's 20 years ago like i, I knew this stuff i'm not i'm not naive to it but it is a a recurring important lesson that most of what you see in media unless it's long form unedited what have you is probably just there to fit to fit a message fit a narrative push an agenda what have you well also when you're talking about how you're doing a pre-interview and they're trying to see if you're going to give them what they wanted and then you ended up not giving them they went, oh well pff, screw this guy go somewhere else i mean you're probably just being nuanced and like you're saying they wanted someone who was just completely oh this guy is completely a whack job or however they're going to describe them but you were kind of like well i mean it is this way but actually this is also pretty bad and, blah, blah, blah. and they're like no we don't want we don't want our people to look bad we want those people to look bad so we're going to go to these people who give us what we want because and it'll I, make us look good and the television episode will be awesome and that the anderson right will be smart <laughs> People get mad in the comments. And I think that's actually what happened with the Dr. Bill episode. Because when I was on the phone with the producers, I was just rattling off statistics. Yeah. And just like, like one of the things I think I said on the on the phone, I was like, you know, one of the problems with reparations is that people don't want to really discuss is that we talk about, you know, racism and what have you in America. But one in five black people in America today are here. They're either first or second generation. And generation demarks about 25 years. So they're, so all these, so one in five black people in america came here since say the 60s like post civil civil rights movement They're like well how do you qualify a system as inherently racist and systemically racist when one in five people who are allegedly oppressed chose their oppression like that's hmm. 
that's that's a really hard disconnect to figure out. And there's all sorts of other things. I was bringing those things up, but I think that's what they wanted. Like they expect me to come out with those things or to say something that was, you know, flamboyantly, you know, problematic that they could then pounce yeah. on. And I gave them none of that during the during the filming. <laughs> like it was way more nuanced and way more just I instead of attacking, I was just responding to what they were saying. Like they would say something and I would try to, you know, take it down and be like, that's not true. And here's why, which yeah. is less useful when you're trying to do that on on TV. So not that everything I said was smart. I probably said some dumb stuff that needed to be cut also, but nothing that was, you know, useful. Well, I think if if they're going to say that they they're going to present this question and they want different opinions, like, I mean, Dr. Phil says at the end, well, you know, I'm glad we had this really nice discussion and it's really, uh, really open and honest uh, conversation. I really appreciate you guys being here. But then you see the finished product and you're like, that wasn't, a, that wasn't open. What are you talking about? Because, you know, like he could say that. And I mean, Dr. Phil did say something um, that was interesting where he said, and I don't really know exactly where his opinion is on this. Maybe he is kind of balanced. You know, maybe, I don't know, but I'm not really sure. But he says something like, well, there are a lot of social programs that do, quote unquote, benefit minorities to like education and infrastructure and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, OK, that's, you know, that's that's an interesting point. Bring that up. And but then okay, you're gonna have that brought up, but then you're just gonna cut everything that Josh says because oh, it didn't fit what we wanted. I mean, I, I get well, it, I get it. You want to fit however many minutes you need, like 45 minutes or whatever. So and you film it's like an hour and a half. Okay, we gotta we gotta cut out like 45 minutes of of this to make it fit that hour with the ads, or whatever. But still, it's just it's it, it's like you were saying, it's not what they were promising you or presenting you as what this episode was gonna be. To where even, it was originally going to be one thing to, yeah. Even afterwards, they have you go backstage and you like take a picture in front of the backdrop of the Dr. Bell show or whatever. And he's like, oh, that was a great discussion. And we you, we should have you back. We'll, we'll, we'll do this again sometime. I'm like, no, you have you Have you back? Your show is ending at the, what are Well, you we didn't know about? that. Nobody knew that at the time. So this is back oh, in October. Okay, okay, that, okay. That, that wasn't oh, that's, announced. Yeah, until, that's right. You're right. Yeah. yeah that wasn't announced until a couple months ago. But it was like, we'll have you back at some point. I'm like, no, you won't. Like, even then, I'm like, that's not true. You're not having me back. And again, what really, what really, really got under my skin, when we're leaving, they take us all back to the green rooms and I drove again, I drove myself and everyone else like got shuttles or cars or whatever. And I, so they're taking us back to the green room and they take us upstairs in this area that I hadn't been yet. Like I, this is after the airing, right? I'm mm. going upstairs and I look over and there's a coffee station and there's like bagels and all this stuff. And I'm like, I didn't get access to any of this. And I see all the rooms that they're all in. Like all of the other guests were on this floor and they're like, Oh no, you're over here. And then we go downstairs, like behind this little like walkway, like, I felt like I was like Harry Potter being pushed under the stairs, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it was like, what the hell? Like, why, why didn't I get the bagels? What? Like, you've been watching me drink coffee this whole time. Like, I, I'm the one who needed coffee of all of them. I, if I'd known that was there, I would have gone upstairs and just stolen the pot of coffee. And it was just, it felt even more disingenuous, like when they took me back to the green room afterwards. Because it was like, oh, you really did treat me entirely differently than every other guest that was on this show. Wow. What so. about what about uh, Mr. Woodson? He was up there. He was he was upstairs with them as well, I think, because he was outside because they made you do all the, you know, make sure you didn't have COVID and whatnot at the time back in right. October. And so I was just sitting outside of this little coffee type area that's out sort of like eating uh, the, the patio that they have for the cafe. 
and on on the lot and i'm sitting there and he and his handlers showed up and they were sitting near me and they didn't acknowledge my existence at all and i was like oh hey uh, we're on the same episode and they were like oh they didn't care that i existed at all and then i never saw him again until they brought him out which meant and i looked down the hall a few times trying to get a hold of people because they make you sign an nda and all this stuff and i never and i was the only again when they took us backstage again they they took him upstairs and took me around so it wasn't like an ideological split they literally had me segregated from everybody else and i don't know that it was again i don't know that it was intentional but it felt like it after the fact yeah. you know oh i didn't get the cool stuff oh i didn't get to like it seemed like they had talked beforehand also like they had like their i don't know if they had their own green room or whatever but they were like oh it's so good to meet you and it's like the two uh black girls that were there were like oh it's so good to meet you and talk to you and blah blah blah, blah. And i'm like i didn't get to meet or talk to anybody before this happened like what the Jeez. what is going on here it, yeah, yeah. So after the filming, I actually felt way worse than I did beforehand. And then it was six months of let's see what happens. And now we've seen what happens. I killed was, the Dr. Poe show. It was like you're being like you're at a visiting team, visiting a, another sport, like another team stadium. And like, OK, you're going to go into shitty visiting while the home team gets the nice lockers and all that good stuff. Right, right, right. That was the. um Back in the day before Angel Stadium was built, the, the Angels used to be back in 63. They were the Los Angeles Angels and they played at Dodger Stadium and they played. They used different locker rooms than the Dodgers did. They weren't allowed to use mm -hmm. the same locker room. So that's what it felt like. I'm like, no, no, you're the second tier. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're not you're not as valuable as the other players. So you need to be over there and do your own thing. And it's like, oh, OK, OK, I guess. So if other offers came about to where hey we want you to come on our show and talk about such and such topic what are kind of like like do you have after this experience for sure do you have that well if this doesn't happen i'm not doing it or like i have a set of you know you're going to be that person well, this has to happen and yeah i gotta have it in writing yeah yeah I, I if you, if i don't have all of the brown M&Ms pulled out of my M&Ms. <laughs> yeah, I am yeah. not going on your show. Uh, I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I would do a lot of other shows if I didn't feel like I could trust them. So, you know, if you had just an array of shows that you got a uh, request from, you go, do I, do I think this person has a good enough reputation that they wouldn't try to sandbag me? Is this meant to be an honest conversation? Is it meant to be due diligence? Like, excuse me, I would probably not that i would ever be asked but i would absolutely do something like uh whatever show greg gutfeld has right yeah like i don't feel like he would intentionally try to sandbag me i think he would just cut around things just for time or what have you right. but those conversations also feel like they're straight up conversations they don't feel like they're narratively manipulated i don't think I don't think I'd have a problem with somebody like a Bill Maher, who again may disagree with you, but will let the whole conversation happen because unless it just runs too long, you know, he'll let the whole conversation happen because that's what the whole point of the conversation is mm -hmm. the conversation. Right. But a lot of shows like daytime TV, probably never again, unless there's specific value, like unless they were going to say, Hey, we'll let you know how it's going to be edited or we'll tell you what's going to happen. Or, and I think that's what happens in a lot of politics also. You know, you always see these things about how politicians have the softball question so they know what the question is going to be. You know, we just saw this with Biden like a week or two ago where he had not just the reporter's picture, but the question they were going to ask. Right. Yeah. And you kind of have to understand that simply because you don't know what their agenda is. You don't know what their point is. Are they going to ask you something that's just completely 
you know, off the wall in order to throw you off and make you look bad or what have you. So I, I would say if anybody was going to do somebody's podcast or show, look at the output first. You know, I did that. That's what sort of suckered me on the Dr. Phil show was I had seen um, James Lindsay had been on there. And I think, oh, I can't think of her name right now. Sydney Watson. Yeah, thank you. Sydney Watson. Well, her episode hadn't aired yet, but she was right. on there. But but Lindsay's episode had aired and they had sandbagged him. And I was like, ooh, that looks bad. But the preceding like dozen or two episodes before mine filmed, not before mine aired, before mine filmed, were just conversations. And it was like five on five or six on six or whatever. And it seemed like they let people talk and get their points across and it went back and forth and it seemed more, really organic to a point. And then that, so that was like what I tricked myself into believing it was going to be. And I was like, Oh, okay. That was a decent conversation. I could, I could handle that. And then that's just not what it ended up being. So that's where it becomes an issue. You'd have to really have an idea of what the output is, who the producer is, make sure it's the same producer because different producers, different episodes. I, I would ask like, what other episodes have you produced? How do I know what's going to be like this or what have you? But if you want to be on those shows, you have no control unless you're a name person. Like if you're a name brand person, you're, there's a reason why guys like Ben Shapiro or what have you probably aren't going to ever be on a show like the Dr. Phil show anymore because his brand is too high that yeah. he can get in front of that stuff. He can be like, listen, I'm not going to do this where you're going to sandbag me. I'm not going to, it's not going to happen. So you pick and choose where you're going to be on. And I feel like most people have to do that. It doesn't matter how big the show is. Like, again, it could be a small show. It could be something like what I do. It could be something as big as Rogan. You just have to know that you're going on a show where somebody's honest and honest with what their, what their intent is, you know? And that's, that's difficult. I've been asked, like I said, I've been asked to do a few podcasts or what have you. And I'll look at the content and I'm like, <sighs> They're just trying to like make me say something stupid or you look at the content and you're like, this is this show is going to get me heated because they say so much off, you know, out of pocket stuff or what have you. And so you got to weigh, weigh the, the pros and cons of it. I don't think daytime TV after being on Dr. Phil show, I don't think there's any pros for people unless you're trying to get, I don't know, middle aged women to yell at you on the Internet. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, daytime television is unless it's unless you're a soap opera i mean you're pretty much like the viewership is is way down i mean i know like dr phil was doing still doing okay for a daytime talk show i think it was getting like at least a couple million right episode so i mean he's doing okay but of course now the, the show is ending and so now you have what like you have like i don't know what what is what's the what's the iteration now of that uh kelly ripa show you know how many however many there are for that right you know, right like, like you're going to go on that and think that kelly ripa is going to ask you oh she might ask me some interesting smart questions yeah, yeah. and whoever the person is going to be sitting next to her i think it's her husband now i think or whatever it was but it's just like yeah I don't know. right and it's also the issue where you're like i, I felt like Dr. Phil, I don't know. I know the history and I know the drama of the backstage, some of the drama stuff and whatnot, but it was like, okay, it felt like they were going to have an honest conversation, which kind of happened, but wasn't what was edited. But there's a lot of shows that during that time frame, where even, even primetime, you go on that, like, I would never go on The View. Like, wh <laughs> why? Like, if my profile was high enough to be asked to be on that show, I would just say no. And you're uh, like, no, God. there are other shows that are so much so much better that have such lower viewership i would go on those first like i would never there is no there is no value add to go on there you know even if tucker carlson is their newest host you know oh man if if tucker was <laughs> oh god gosh and then and then the view would actually get a lot of viewers for that just to see the the showdowns between him and joy behar that'd be 
Oh, be right, awesome. but could you? But that's the thing. Could you imagine being on that show? Like you just have to. You wouldn't you even know, get a word it, in. Right, it's just common decency. Where like there's no intrinsic value. I'd like, I would never go on the Young Turks. Like I don't feel like you'd have an honest conversation with them. I feel like you'd be shouted down. They'd edit it out of context. They'd they'd pull clips that were were, were nip, manipulated in order to make you look stupid. Like there's no value add to it. Whereas Joe Rogan pulls the clips. Even Tim Pool, I'd say, I think to a point, pulls the clips that make his show look interesting. It's not just like, oh, own the libs or own the opposition. It's like this clip is going to blow up or this is going to be viral or this is just a really fire point. Like that's what's pulled. It's meant to promote the product as opposed to just dunk on people all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big difference. You know, I think in, in, in the sphere that we sort of circle around, I would say probably Dave Smith is probably the closest. Maybe Tom Woods. There's a few yeah. others where you're like, OK, they have honest, honest intentions. That'd be worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, like, I know that, like, for for example, I know Dave has had some people on that don't agree with them on everything, and they've had those discussions. And yeah, like you said, it is, yeah, you put your point across, and uh, all right, we'll go on with our with our lives or whatever. That was a good episode. Thanks, appreciate right, that. Right, right, right. You know, so, um, I don't really have anything else to add to this. I mean, the whole thing though was just that. When you're in your in your Substack talking about this whole thing, I was just thinking, I mean, it, it's another. And I know we've kind of like beat the point on people's head, you know, the hammering it in, but it it really is another prime example of just going into the lion's den, not having any control over what is going to be on air, and that and that's why podcasts, even something as small as this one or or, or wherever. That's why podcasts are growing and there's so many of them because they'd rather just go on there, especially if it's not something that's completely edited. Because, I mean, there are a lot of podcasts out there that do have that production or whatever. Like, I mean, this one's just, you know, click and boom or whatever. whatever. Right. Um, so, I, I yeah. So my videos, when I do stuff, typically I don't do live stuff or I don't do long form stuff. I have a specific point I'm trying to make or my videos right. are as long as they need to be for whatever the talking point is when I do them. But I think the the biggest problem that if you're sort of adjacent to the liberty sphere like I, i'm said more adjacent than in it is you don't see our viewpoints regardless of where you stand i mean you can be well, let's use like you can be open borders or a hopitarian like it doesn't you know it doesn't matter if you can believe in an, in an ethno state or versus not and you don't see those views portrayed on on, te- on television on network tv on most shows you know, that's why so many people are so excited when they see Dave Smith on Joe Rogan, because you're like, I don't see my views, even the ones I disagree, I agree with or whatever. I don't see those uh, really represented in the media. Mm-hmm. And so there's this impetus to be like, I was asked to be on the Dr. Bill show. I'm going to go on there and I'm going to, you know, say my piece or I'm going to push back on this talking point or try to make make sense of this. And then you're like, yeah, but I kind of can't. I mean, that was a, a like when you had messaged me about this episode, I didn't even hesitate. I just I literally before I was the only reason it took me a while to respond to you is to make sure it was cool with my wife because we have to like arrange around our kids to make sure they're there. There's a famous video of a dude that was doing a an interview and his kid like ran in the room while he was doing it. And I'm like, I'm mm, never yeah, going to have yeah. that. Like, I'm not doing yeah. that. So I didn't hesitate. And I'm like, no, it'll be an honest discussion. I, I like them. We get along. We're, we're cool. So <laughs> not a problem. But it's it's frustrating because it's 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 my own ego but it's an animosity that i've had with the libertarian world is that even in the libertarian world i don't feel like my views are represented a lot of times like when i was sued by my city you were the only person there was you and thank you for your servers was the other show and that was Mm -hmm. 
a friend of mine, Gary and Thaddeus were the guys who ran that episode. I think were the only shows that had me on. And at that time, the libertarian world was running shows about the loser brigade and, you know, all of the progressives in the libertarian party and whatnot. And you're like, I'm being sued by my city over the first amendment, the ACLU's on my side, the EFF's on my side, all these things. And nobody in the Liberty world by and large cared with the except I would say in the libertarian party, Angela McCardle, Angela McCardle cared because she had me come talk to her group in LA. And this is back before, mm -hmm. obviously before she was chair of the LP. And so she cared, but no, but she didn't have a podcast or anything like nobody in the yeah. media side of that, except for you. And, and, and thank you for your servers cared. And so it was like, okay, well, I have no support in that network. What, where else is there? So when I started talking, when I started doing videos on TikTok or what have you, or had had a following, more people on the right reach out to me than people in the Liberty world. And so when you're like, oh, I can reach, I can reach them with my views. And then when the Dr. Phil episode messages me, I'm like, oh, I can reach 2.5 million or whatever the number was, like 2.2 million viewers that he has plus syndication with mm -hmm. maybe a smart talking point, maybe something that could push back. Obviously that didn't happen because they, I felt like they cut everything, but you feel like that's the case. Um, but no, it's, it's frustrating. You got to sort of figure out what, what matter, what, who you can reach and who you can't and what shows are going to help you with that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Of course. Um, so yeah, we'll just um, end it there. Uh, let people know where they can find you and uh, where they can, you know, follow you and all that good stuff. So it's, uh, I think I have it behind me, the hourly struggle. It's pretty much any social media, YouTube, TikTok are the primary places. So short videos on TikTok, longer form videos on YouTube. Occasionally I'll, I'll do the Twitter thing every now and again. And then obviously Substack as well. So hourlystruggle.substack.com is the other Patreon, obviously, as well, because I am a capitalist. So I like money. <laughs> Yay. Well, I appreciate you coming on and then talking about your experience over on the Dr. Phil show. And, uh, you know, if you get sued again by whatever other city, then we'll definitely have you on for that. Talk about your. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so to everyone, thank you for watching and listening and tune in next week where our guest will be the host of it's too late. Alan Mosley. He's scheduled to come on. We'll see. Maybe he'll run late from it's too late. I don't know. Maybe he will be late. Who knows? Anyway, it's going to have you on, man, but it's too late. I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. We'll see you in the next one. The, the the truck's backing up because they're hearing us. Uh, I think it's time to end this episode. And smash that like button. Yeah, smash that like Just button. Just break your computer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Bye. Bye.